0: Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Happy Easter. Hey, in case you forgot, the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, we don't have to live empty lives any longer. Jesus is alive. And if you're a follower of Jesus, let me tell you something. I like to put it this way. Easter Sunday is like the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, the Masters, the World Series, the Bassmaster Classic, WrestleMania. Can I hear a Ric Flair? Woo! Woo! Yeah! It's it's Easter. Hey, 66% of Americans say that they believe that the biblical account of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. 66%. Two-thirds of Americans believe in that account that we see in the Bible, which is fantastic, but it's also really, really scary to me. It's fantastic that two-thirds of Americans share that view. They believe it, but it's terrifying and a little scary because if that were really true, I think our world would look different. If two-thirds of Americans live like Jesus is still alive, our world would be different. So what that, those statistics tell me is there's a lot of people that believe it up here, but very few that actually believe it in here where it counts. So here's the thought. Can we move that... That 12 inches from here to here, because this, this gets us hung up a lot. We acknowledge facts, but sometimes we don't act on it. Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. We're also starting a brand new series today called Painkiller. And through this series over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about trials and tribulation and pain, because that's what, it's a common denominator. Every single one of us that are in this room, watching online, or anybody that's ever been born actually has experienced some sort of Pain. There's a variety of pains. Your pain may be different than mine, but nonetheless, we, we have pain, and, and, and Jesus is the ultimate painkiller. Now, that doesn't mean just give your life to Jesus, and you'll never have pain, trials, or tribulations. In fact, Jesus said just the opposite. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. In other words, in the spite of all the pain that you're going through, the trials that you have, I'm there. There is hope. I'm the comforter through that pain, and I'll walk with you. And that's, that's our hope in Christ. Uh, and if you think about it, isn't the Easter story. We celebrate it, right? We celebrate Sunday morning in an empty tomb. But if you back up just a couple of days, it's a story that begins with a lot of pain. There was the pain on Friday when Jesus went to the cross, and he, the physical pain that he felt uh, of having nails driven through his hands and his feet and the mocking and all of that, the physical pain, but it was also the spiritual, emotional pain of Jesus carrying the sins of the world, your sins and my sins upon himself as he went to his death. There was a the pain of that. And I wanted to illustrate that by showing you a picture because just this past week, my, my grandsons, my, my daughter and her family, they went to, uh, to Myrtle Beach and went to amusement park. <laughs> And uh, you wanna, I want you to look at my one of my grandsons there. I put this on my Facebook page. This is Wyatt. He, he's, he didn't like roller coasters. And I imagine that there was, this is kind of, if you look at his face, there's a pained look on this young man's face, right? He's wanting to really celebrate, but he's got like this apprehension. His brother next to him, Jack, is like, "Woo! I'm going for it. All right, he, he gets it it's not sure about this, okay? And that's how I think it felt like on Friday for the disciples and the people who love Jesus, right? Because there's this, this apprehension, this, this fear, the pain of fear and the unknown and hopelessness. But then Sunday morning comes around, the stone is, is rolled away, and there's happiness, right? This is him just a couple seconds later <laughs> because this is how he felt because he's, now he realizes, you know what? I'm not going to die. This is going to be good. I'm loving this thing. And so he's having a time of his life, and that's how it should be for believers. You know, that Friday, there, were, there was a lot of confusion, a lot of things going on, a lot of pain, but then there was the hope of Sunday morning with the empty tomb that the, the stone was rolled away, and he wasn't in there, and he's alive today. We're going to celebrate that today, but we're going to talk about um, some other pain today. We're going to talk about the pain of making bad choices, or the wrong choices, or the pain of regret, the pain of misplaced priorities. One of Jesus' favorite ways to teach was these things called parables. And a parable was basically a a, a fictional story that Jesus would make up to illustrate a point. I mean, I often use these parables because it, you know, it, when you heard them, you go, okay, yeah, I, I kind of get that. And today he's going to talk about this man who made these bad choices and felt the pain of that. And here's the, here's the, 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 the part that's A little troubling to me is that you're going to see a story that happened a couple thousand years ago that jesus told and yet that same mistake that same pain is felt all around our world every single day we're repeating the same things that this guy repeated in this story jesus is going to talk to us about measuring our lives today and we're all familiar with measuring things we measure things all the time and provided you have the right metric the right type of device, you can measure anything. Like if I told you that I'm, I'm, I'm gonna fix a recipe and I need a, a couple of teaspoons of this and a, and, a, and a cup of that, if you had the right kind of measuring tool, you could give me that, right? You could go give me a cup of flour and a couple of teaspoons of pepper or whatever the recipe called for. You could do that because you had the right metric. If I said I need a gallon of gas, if you provided, you had a, a container that held a gallon, you could give that to me. If I said, hey, I need you to measure a, a two by four or you need to measure this table, you could take your tape measure and you'd be able to do that. There's a adage, an old adage that carpenters use. It says this. It says measure twice and cut once. You ever heard that? Measure twice and cut once. And what that simply means is that once you... Once you get ready, you pull the saw out and you cut that two by four, that sheet of plywood, you better make sure you got it right. Because if you don't, it's a one and done deal. You can't, you can't redo that, there's no mulligans. Like once that plywood or that board is cut, it's over. That's it, that's what you get. So you can't afford to make that mistake, so measure twice and cut once. And I think we could understand that today if you've ever been to, recently to Lowe's or Home Depot Try tried to buy a sheet of plywood. I don't even know what it costs now. It's about $200 in your firstborn child, I think, but it's expensive. And you better measure twice and cut once because once you get that piece of plywood home and you saw it and then you realize, uh-oh, should have measured that second time you got it wrong. You, it's, it's, a, it's a costly mistake, but I would argue that it's a painful mistake. Can't afford that. So we would know how to measure most things, but what if I ask you how to measure your life? How would you do that? If I said, hey, measure your life, could you do it? Most of you are going, I don't even know what you're talking about. How do you measure your life? Exactly, how do you measure a life? Like, if, like, do I get it? My, my tape measure out? No, that's not gonna work. How do you measure life? Well, the problem is none of us probably would even have ever thought of that question. And so what happens when we start thinking about life, we start thinking, you know, how do I measure life? What, what is the meaning of life? What's, how do I know if I'm successful at life? And so if we don't know the answer, we just do what we do best. We, we kind of look at everybody else. And then we compare ourselves against other people, and we have the wrong metrics, so we, so we end up with the wrong measurement. So a lot of us think the way you measure life is that maybe, it, maybe we think to ourselves, maybe it's how much I own. Like, if I own a lot of stuff, if I, if I get a lot of stuff, that would be a measure of success, and that would tell me that I've measured my life correctly, but we all know that's not right. That doesn't give you a full life. Then some people think, well, wait, maybe it's the, maybe it's the, the expense, the, the, the amount of the money that I spend on those things. Like, if I have more expensive things than my neighbor or i take better vacations or i drive a better car or i live in a bigger house maybe that's the answer the the amount of the money that it costs me to get those things maybe that's how you measure life but we know that's not right either some people think well maybe i get my 15 minutes of fame i'll get popularity i'll get power position platform maybe that will give me the sense of purpose and meaning and maybe that's how you measure life some people think it's let me just get a lot of Facebook friends or Facebook likes or Instagram followers. That would be a sign of success. Maybe that's how you measure your life. But I'm just telling you, none of those things work. And you're going to see that this guy in the story today, this is what he struggled with. And Jesus is going to talk to them about measuring life. The resurrection of Jesus that we are celebrating here today, it, it, it's like a ripple effect over all parts of your life. And in this story, if you've got your Bibles, if not the words will be on the screen, in Luke chapter twelve, this parable, which which is my favorite parable, because it it hits home for me, in Luke chapter twelve, Jesus gives this story, but it's in kind of the context of this is a little bit weird. All right, Jesus at this point of of his ministry is preaching to thousands of people. Like picture like masses of people, thousands of people are gathered around listening to Jesus teach. And in the middle of this, there's a guy who apparently has a personal agenda. And he's got a little dispute with his brother about an estate. And he asks a very awkward and random question in the middle of Jesus' teaching. And Jesus seizes it as a teaching opportunity. here's what it says beginning in verse 13. Then someone called from the crowd, "'Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me.'" Jesus replied, "'Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that?' Then he said, "'Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own.'" Then he told them a story. Here goes the story. He's going to drive the point home. "'A rich man had a fertile farm to produce fine crops.'" He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Today I wanna talk to you about measuring your life, and I wanna show you some signs, give you three signs that maybe you're not measuring correctly. And if you find out in the midst of this that you're not measuring correctly, it is time to do a course correction. Don't leave here without doing that because as you're gonna see, there was not a very happy ending for this man. God called him a fool because he, he ignored what he should have been paying attention to. So i want to give you three signs today on this resurrection morning that you are measuring your life incorrectly. The first sign is this, that you're never satisfied. You're never satisfied. You have what I call the, the uh, Rolling Stone syndrome you might recall Mick Jagger singing the song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. That's how it is with a lot of us. I tried and I tried and I tried. I can't get no satisfaction. How many of you remember that song? Not many. It's a little scary to think that Mick Jagger's like 80 years old these days, I don't know. But in that song, he talks about, no matter what I do, I just can't seem to get satisfied. I just can't do it. I don't have any contentment. I lack that. Listen, we live in a world of excess. We're blessed as a nation. The poorest among us are rich according to the world's standards. Did you know that? We're kind of spoiled and, and a little bit entitled, but we're a nation of excess. John D. Rockefeller, back in the day, was the richest man that ever lived. He would, let, maybe he would let, uh, make uh, Bill Gates or Elon Musk look like peasants, okay? This is how rich this guy was. Rockefeller, in his day, listen to this, personally owned 90% of all of the gas and oil industry himself. His net worth at the time of this interview was, he, he literally had owned 1% of the entire uh, net worth of the, of the United States of America himself, 1% himself. And he was asked a question by an interviewer, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And he said, just a little more. And I think that's how we live our lives too. The average five-year-old in America owns 250 toys. And if they're like my kids, they play with them for about a few minutes and then go play with the boxes. And out of those 250, they probably play with a couple of them, right? Just so much everywhere we turn. We go to our homes and we open a refrigerator filled with food and we look in there and we go, I don't have a thing to eat. We look into our closets. You know, we go to our walk-in, walk-in closet because the regular closet's now big enough. We have to have a room for our stuff. And we look in our walk-in closet. That's, that's, we're surrounded by clothes and shoes and we look around and go, I don't have a thing to wear. Because we're never satisfied. We have a problem. And when you're not satisfied and never content, this is a sign that you're not measuring your life correctly, that you've got, you're using the wrong metric, and you're going to end up with the wrong answer. And in Luke chapter 12, this is what's going on. It's hard to imagine that a couple thousand years ago, they struggled with the same kind of things that we struggle with, but, but they did. And so Jesus, let's, let's go back to what he said. That Jesus that, Then he said, beware all right so jesus when this guy comes up and says hey tell my brother to divide this state with me and jesus said who made me judge and then he goes into this thing he says hey beware whenever jesus says beware you know what you should do beware right i'm going to pay attention there's flashing yellow lights is a danger will robinson you won't remember that either if you don't remember rolling stones (laughs) so but it's like flashing yellow lights he's saying hey heads up i'm about to give you some truth here beware what beware what guard against every kind of greed guard against every kind of greed in other words learn to be content because whenever you want more and more and more and more that's a sign of greed that's a sign you're measuring life incorrectly guard against every kind of greed you know greed is one of those things that again it's so easy for us to fall into that trap if you ask most people are you greedy they'd say no but if you look at our lives we're not content we want more and more and more. And here's the definition that I, I have for greed. See if you fall into this. It's the desire to acquire gone haywire. That's what it is. Because there's nothing wrong with the desire to acquire. You should have ambition and drive. It's when it goes, goes a little south, when it goes haywire, when, you start, when it becomes your, your focus and your agenda and your priority, that's when it becomes a problem. It, it's no longer you having possessions, but your possessions now have you, and this is a problem. And in the story, he says, hey, beware, guard against every kind of greed. We struggle with it, and I know, again, we don't like to admit it, we do, but let me ask you a question. Do you still feel the same way about the car that you drive now that you did when you first drove it off the lot? Or off that person's driveway that you bought it from? Because when you bought it then, didn't you think this is the greatest car I've ever seen? And now, y'all, you can think, if I can't really get get. Can't wait to get rid of this hunk of junk, right? This is the way you feel. How many of you, by show of hands, have got a new cell phone in the last year? Come on, you got a new cell phone. You don't want to raise your hands for nothing. You guys aren't working with me today. Fact is, most of us probably have gotten one in the last couple years. And the other fact is, there's probably nothing wrong with my old one. It just got a little outdated. But if you've been around the block a few times, you can remember back in the day when we didn't have cell phones, where you had, if you were at the house, you had a cord attached to a wall and that's where you, that was your phone, right? As far as you could walk for that cord, that's, that's how far you could go. And if you happened to be driving and needed to make a call, you had to stop at a phone booth. Then remember when phone, the cell phone came out, the first one? That was... I gotta, like, right, remember that? You got a hernia picking the thing up, it was so big. But you thought, this is, man, look at technology, this is amazing. Like if I could ever get, afford to get one of those things, that would be, that would, my life would be made. And then they came up with flip phones. It was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> wow. Now it's small. Then the first iteration of a smartphone came out and we were mesmerized, we had to get one of those. And now we're up to iPhone 796, and we can't get enough, right? This is us. This is the way we live our lives. The desire to acquire gone haywire. This is what's going on in this story. Let's go back to the story. And I want you to watch. I'm going to pull out a couple things here to show you. He said, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So if that was on your list, is that's how I'm going to measure? You can cross it off your list. He's telling, he's giving us the answer to the quiz right up front. Life is not measured by how much you own. Period. Doesn't matter how many toys you got in the garage, how many, how much clothes you got in in the closet. It doesn't matter. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he goes into the story a rich man. Notice the guy is already rich. This is a, we, we don't usually catch this, but he's already rich. This guy is wealthy. So this rich man, it says, had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, that I'm room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Now, listen, this guy was in the agricultural business. He's a farmer. This is this is actually a good business plan, wouldn't you say? Like he's already a rich guy, he he's, he's understands farming. And he's already got barns, and he's already got places, and he's got stuff. And this year he plants his crop like he does every single year, but apparently this year is the bumper crop. And everything is growing like crazy, and he's a smart guy. So he looks out there and he's realizing, hey, harvest time is coming, and what's going to happen, because I've had big crops before, but never one like this, and I know this, that, the, that my current situation, the barns that I have now, will not hold all of the harvest I'm going to have. Now, I don't want it to spoil, because that would be bad stewardship. Here's what I need to do. I need to tear down these barns and build bigger ones, because when this, when this wheat is ready to harvest, I'm going to have plenty of room. Nothing wrong with that plan, right? Right? Like if he didn't do that, that would be stupid. He did the right thing, but we know the rest of the story. If the story ended there, we would all go, hey, that guy's pretty smart. But it doesn't end there. Because this rich man had a problem and he figured out the best way he could. But he measured incorrectly. Because he thought the way you measured life was by how much you own. That's why Jesus told the story. He was a greedy guy. And Jesus said, wait a second. So you have to have the right metrics. You've got to know how you're measuring because otherwise you'll get it all wrong. Solomon was the richest man that ever lived. He makes, he makes Rockefeller look like a peasant. And in his day, Solomon said, here's the problem with being rich. The rich are always worried and seldom get a good night's sleep. This is, he's speaking from experience. He's saying, look, here's what I'm to tell you. It's not all it's cracked up to be. I'm the richest guy in the world. I'm telling you, I don't even sleep good at night because I'm always worried somebody's gonna steal it. I'm always worried about what I'm gonna do with it, how I'm gonna spend it, how I'm gonna save it. I, I just don't even sleep good anymore. I wish I didn't even have, is basically probably what he was thinking. And yet, this is what we're, we're pursuing. And it ends up getting a lot of people in problems, uh, in, in trouble because in First Timothy, it says this. It says, so if we have enough food or clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. He says everybody's trying to get rich. And all they're doing is getting themselves in trouble. If it goes on to say later that many people walk away from their faith chasing, chasing wealth. So life is not measured by how much you own. So one, the first sign is that you're never satisfied. And if you, if you realize, oh, that's me, look, make the adjustment now. Because you can't afford to get this wrong. You've got to measure twice and cut once because if you make that decision, you're wrong. This is one that you can't get back because it's talking about your very soul. Second sign that you're, you're uh, measuring incorrectly is that you have self-reliance. Maybe I should have worded that uh, unhealthy self-reliance. There ought to be, you ought to be somewhat resourceful, but self-reliance. It's when we look to ourselves for all the answers. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You might have been with us. But we talked about this idea of finding peace, and it's only found through Christ. It's not through the external things. It's through him working inside of us. But, but I made the point that the, the self-reliant people, when they walk into a room, here's what a self-reliant person does. They First of all, they're, they're probably proud, so they look around the room and they go, I'm the smartest person in the room. So therefore, if I've got a problem, why do I need anybody else to consult anybody else? I can figure out that on my own. And self-reliant people are measuring incorrectly. They think they can do everything on their own, that they don't need God, that they don't need others. Because they, they're, they're the end-all be-all as far as they're concerned. And, and when we co- get to this point, I mentioned um, that we kind of go into this DIY mode, this Mr. Fix-it mode, and we all do this. Because when we run into a problem, what we generally do is we consult God and as a last-ditch effort. And instead, we go into this, I'm going to figure it out myself. And so we rely on some past experiences. We rely on some conventional wisdom. We rely on a little roll of duct tape and a, and a how-to video on YouTube. And we can figure out most things. And all that does is make us self-reliant when we need to be spirit-reliant. We really need to rely on God, not on ourselves. And if you're the person who is always looking to yourself for all the answers, or you always think you're the one who's the smartest person in the room, and you're the person who never considers getting outside counsel or seeking God's advice, then you, that is a sign that you are measuring incorrectly. Let's go back to the story, because now the guy, has got, he's, he's already set this up, and he said, okay, I've got this issue. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a problem. It's a good problem that I've got this big crop. But he's so self-reliant that I'm going to read some of the same things again. But I want you to notice the personal pronouns. Because I'm going to emphasize those now as I read this story. And look, now we're starting to reveal the problem that this guy had. Here is what he, he comes up. Remember, because he's looking out there. What should I do? I'll tear down these barns, get some new barns. Watch this. He said to himself, right? He's consulting himself. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Over and over again, personal pronouns, I, me, my, I, me, my, it was all about him. His first mistake, was that he never bothered, not once in the story did he bother to consult God, did he? He didn't pray, God, give me wisdom, what should I do? He just said, I know what I'll do. I'll do this, and I'll do this. And he puts his plan together, and never consults God. He never bothers to even thank God for the blessing, not once. He doesn't ask God, How can I bless others with the excess that you're giving me? It's all about Him. And when you live your life when it's all about you, that is a miserable life. In fact, I think it would be a good exercise, all of us, repeat after me, it's not about me. Come on. It's not about me. Now, if we could just live that way. If we could just live this way. You know what's ironic about this story that Jesus tells? Is that this guy is a farmer. There is not an occupation in the world that needs God more than a farmer. He takes a seed that he didn't make, that God made, and he takes this seed and puts it in the ground that he didn't make, that God made, and by faith, he puts that seed, and he hopes it rains, and God sends the rains to water it, and God gives the increase, and God puts down the roots, and God gives the harvest. It's all about God, and if God doesn't step in, he gets no crop. And yet he doesn't acknowledge that it's all about him. Look how smart I am. Look how great I am. And look what I'm going to do with all I got. Deuteronomy reminds us, because you may be here going, well, I'm not a farmer. I'm excluded from this conversation. You know what? It doesn't matter if you're a farmer, a plumber, housewife, teacher, pastor. It doesn't matter what you are. What matters is whatever you do. It's because God gave you the ability to do it. If you don't believe me, here's what Deuteronomy says. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, it's God. Second sign that you are measuring your life incorrectly is that you are self-reliant. Let me give you the last sign that you're measuring incorrectly, and the most important one, and that is you have misplaced priorities. Misplaced priorities. I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert. If your number one priority in your life is anything other than Jesus, you are measuring incorrectly. That's it. That's it. Jesus, look at here's the whole day. We're here today, we're celebrating resurrection. But Jesus suffered and died for our sins because we couldn't do it on our own. We, we, no matter how self-reliant are, you cannot save yourself. It's impossible. Sin separates you from God. But Jesus bridged the gap. He died in our place. And then he rose again. The tomb is empty. We have got to come to the point where we recognize we've got to have the right priorities. And he's got to be number one. Because there's going to be a day coming where it won't matter how much I have or how expensive the stuff I have. It won't matter what kind of car I drive, what fancy vacations I take, or how many... Facebook followers I've got, it won't matter. None of those things will matter. All that will matter at the end of my life is what I do with Jesus. The Bible is clear that this is a measure twice, cut once proposition. Because the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this to judgment. We all are going to die and face judgment. We got to get this one right. You can't afford to get this one wrong place your faith in jesus christ this is what the whole story really ends up being about it's about greed yes and avoiding greed but it's really about priorities it's really about making good choices and not suffering the the pain of regret and 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 misplaced priorities going back to the story in luke chapter 12. but god said to him okay so now he's made all his plans God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. He talks about priorities. Look, when we die, you're not taking it with you. You've all, we've all heard that, right? You've never seen a Hearst Tony U-Haul. We know that, right? It's not gonna happen. Although I did hear about a guy that tried to defy those odds. He was a, he was a greedy guy. The story goes, he was a very greedy guy kind of like the guy in our story, and um, he was convinced that he was gonna take it with him when he left. So he went to the doctor, the doctor said, I got bad news for you, you got, you know, you got a day or two to live and that's it. So the guy went to the bank, withdrew all his money, put it in a briefcase, came home, told his wife, here's what I'm gonna do. I know you. they say you can't take it when, with you when you die, but I'm going to. I'm going to. So here's what I wanna do, I'm gonna take my money, I'm gonna put it up, right up in the attic right above my bed. And when I die, I'm on my way to heaven, I'm gonna grab the briefcase, and I'm gonna take it with me to heaven. And so he died that night, and uh, after the funeral, his wife got to thinking, nah, nah. She goes, well, let me go check. She goes up in the attic. There's the briefcase filled with money. She just shakes her head and said, I knew he should have put it in the basement. And I knew it. (laughs) Not taking it with you, right? Right. But he said in the story, you know, because Jesus is going, he's bringing it to this point of the story, right? We're following, tracking with him. Rich guy has has a fertile farm, produces big crops. Going to tear down this, do this, do this. Everything's going good. I'll sit back, say to myself, eat, drink, and be merry, take a rest. Hey, just have fun with life. And he says, he drops the bomb. He says, but that night, that night, he dies. And God says, you fool you fool. This very night, you're going to die. We don't have any, he doesn't show us in a story that we don't know that this guy was sick or old or maybe had any medical conditions that would think that he was going to die anytime soon. We don't see that. It was one of these things that His number came up. You know, we all, I I like to say our life's kind of like the milk carton. We got an expiration date. We all do. I don't know when it is, I don't what mine is. I don't know when yours is. But God knows. He didn't know. The guy didn't know. He went to bed thinking, man, I got it made. I'm I'm just going to take it easy. But that night he died. He said, you're a fool. Now who's going to get all that you work for? And then he says it again, kind of reemphasizes. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. That's what he's saying misplaced priorities, came to the end of his life and realized I measured wrong and it's too late because I've already made my decision. I cut and it's too late. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16, what good would, will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus is saying, look, it doesn't matter what you own, there is nothing greater than the thing that God gave you, and that's your very soul. Because the soul will live on forever. That stuff that you have is going to, is going to rot, moths will eat it, it's just going to decay, but your soul will live on forever. The right priorities. The right priorities. Everything else is fluff. Everything else is fluff. If money could buy happiness, how do you explain all these celebrities who are zillionaires, who are miserable and bouncing from this thing to this thing to this thing, hoping that somehow they'll land on something that will give them hope and peace and fulfillment. The very thing that we all are seeking. A thousand dollar suit cannot cover an empty soul. It's impossible. What matters is what you do with Jesus. We we should, when we hear when Jesus says, beware, and he says, You fool, and he's using all these, I mean these strong words, we ought to take notice and recognize he's trying to give us some not just advice, he's trying to tell us this is what you need to do. In Luke chapter 12, 31, he also gives us the right priorities. Here's what he says: seek the kingdom of God above all else and he'll give you everything you need. Have you done that with your life? Have you sought God? Is he number one in your life or is something else? Number one, because if anything else is number one, you're measuring incorrectly. Measure twice, cut once. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, do it today. Don't be like the guy in the story that thinking I can do this whenever I get around to it. You don't know what tonight's gonna bring. bring. Let's pray together. God, thank you that we celebrate an empty tomb a God who defied death and is alive today and is in this room, moving in our hearts, just like we sang, even when we don't see you, even, though we, even sometimes when we don't feel you, that you're moving and you're working and you're doing things all over the place. People watching online, feeling the Holy Spirit moving in their lives. And I'm praying that today, there would be people who say yes to Jesus. That they wouldn't, they wouldn't forfeit their soul in pursuit of anything other than you God, this is your moment. This is your time. These are your people. These are your precious, loved, dearly loved people. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit is touching hearts right now. If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I'm not talking about in your mind. I'm talking about in your heart. I'm talking about giving your life to Jesus Christ and settling this issue once and for all, that you know that your sins are forgiven, that you have eternity waiting for you in heaven, that you have a full, meaningful life here on earth. And that's what you've been seeking, but you've been going about it all wrong. And I'm praying that today your eyes are open, your spiritual eyes are open, and the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart. You're feeling something going on inside of you. You don't really know what's going on. All you know that what I'm saying, somehow somehow you know and you heart you know that i'm telling you the truth and you know you need to make a decision and maybe your fears or maybe your pride or maybe something else has deterred you up to this point but right now right here this easter sunday 2022 in this moment god has brought you here for this reason and he wants to do something in your life i'm not talking to a crowd i'm talking to you god is speaking to you individually in each of our hearts some of you need to give your life to jesus right now some of you have given your life to jesus in the past but you've been like the prodigal son or daughter and you've wandered off and you need to come home today and i want to offer a prayer up and give you an opportunity to make a decision and if if you're before i pray that prayer if you're in this room or watching online And you're ready to get serious with God and you're trying to move that that last 12 inches from your head to your heart and you're ready to do business and say God I want salvation I want forgiveness I believe Jesus died on that cross for me and I believe he rose again and I don't want to be like this foolish guy in this story that measured incorrectly only to get to the end of his life and realizing it's too late if you're ready to give your life to Jesus right now with every head bow and eye closed. I want you to slip up your hand like you're proud of that and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Come on, right now. Like, I don't want to be the fool in the story. I'm going to listen to Jesus' advice. Come on. I want Jesus. There is no, I can't save myself. I can't do it. And I know I can't do it, but Jesus paid the price for me. Just Lift your hand up. Just for a second, I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to make you do anything weird. Just lift your hand up. That's or you can put your hands down. If you just raise your hand, maybe pray a prayer like this: "Say, Jesus, right now, I give you my life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you endured, and thank you that you didn't allow death to hold you down. That you rose again on the third day, and that you're, you've offered me this salvation. And I accept you as my Lord and Savior. God, I'm praying for the prodigal son or daughter. Maybe that's you, and you're ready to come home. Maybe just slip up your hand. and Say, That's me. I'm ready right now. I'm coming back. I'll give my life to Jesus. Someone in the past, I've wandered." But I'm coming back today. If you can put your hands down. If you just raised your hand, maybe a prayer, a prayer like this, Jesus, I'm back. Thank you for never leaving me nor forsaking me. I'm back, and I will continue to follow you. God, you have done great things not just 2,000 years ago, but you're doing great things today. We lift you up. We magnify you because you have changed our life. You've moved us from death to life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you've given your life to Jesus, we would love to know. Let us know in your connection card. Stop by the guest room. I'll be out there. But we're going to stand. We're going to sing one last song as we go. Thank you for coming. I pray that you have an amazing—we have, by the way, there's a petting zoo out there. There's bounce houses for the kids. We've got all kinds of refreshments. Stand up. Let's sing as we go out. And they'll dismiss you. Thank you guys for being here. I love you all.